Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Well, good morning, True North. How are you all doing this morning? Good. Good morning. Um, once again, my name is Bobby. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, as Daniel said, we are actually in week six of our summer, summer sermon series uh, book club where we're taking a look at some of our favorite books or books that have an impact on us, and we're just seeing where we can um, glean God in those areas. I have the privilege of actually uh, using a book that is very directly applicable to our faith, um, and we are in week two of this small little mini-series within the larger series um, based around the book Garden City by John Mark Comer. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, the sermon's online, online. You can check that out and kind of catch up, but um, I, I don't think you'll be too lost if you're just joining us for this part of the series, but there was a part one for those of you who weren't here for that. And um, I just want to say up front, um, before we get started, okay, we're going to be talking about heaven, this idea of heaven and, and exploring this idea of what's going to happen to us after we die. Um, I am going to be using a bunch of, of uh, scripture out of the book of Revelation. Um, this is um, an apocalyptic text, okay, which means there's a lot of symbolism. So there are things that are literal. There are things that are symbols. Theologians have been debating since, you know, the scriptures have been written what all these things mean. That being said, I want to tell you, it is 100% okay to disagree with anything that I'm saying up here. Um, you know, we don't know how all these things happen exactly logistically. We're really diving into the scriptures to see what they say. I'm basing this on a book by John Mark Homer, and I'm sure he would say the same thing, that he doesn't have a lock on all of this. I don't have a lock on all of this, but this is where I'm at. Um, this is kind of how I'm starting to see things, and I'm just trying to invite you into that and maybe open your minds to a different perspective. Um, as Pastor Bert would say, I, right. all right, let's go. Um, so, last week, let's just a, a quick recap, right? Last week, we looked at the beginning of the Bible, the Garden of Eden, uh, the book of Genesis, and we determined that we were all created to rule, right? That was our purpose. God created us to rule, which ruling looks a lot like work. God has been looking for partners, not slaves, since he created us. He wanted us to be co-creators in this new world that he created, and he never gave up on the idea of the Garden of Eden. The plan from the beginning is something that he is still looking to accomplish. And Jesus, as we put our faith in him, is remaking us into the people we were supposed to be all along. As we said last week, kings and queens ruling over this world that God has established for us. Where we came from is where we are going. That is what we established last week. So, as I said, we've been looking at the garden, looking backward at creation as to how we got where we are right now. Now we're going to start to take a look at the New Testament, which is all about where we are headed, okay? Genesis was the start. New Testament, where we are heading. And that leaves some nagging questions, especially when it comes to our lives and work and what things are all about. Like, what does everything we're doing now have to do with eternity? Is there any connection between this life and the next? 
as the saying goes, as you may have heard if you've been around church, or um, there is this idea that everything is going to burn anyway. So what is the point? And if you think that, if you have this idea that one day God is just going to destroy this whole world and start over, you're not alone. Uh, This has been a dominant worldview in the church, at least in our Western church, for a very long time. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take us all the way to heaven, and we're going to be there happily ever after. This is what you would call the theory of evacuation, okay? This idea that we're going to escape. We're going to escape and leave and go somewhere else, right? Let me get out of this planet. It's a mess. Beam me up, Scotty. Take me home, right? That is that view. Get me out of here. It's an evacuationist view. And if this is true, if this is true, then the hope of Jesus, and this is what he came for, you have to ask yourself, what's the point? What's the point then? Why work? Why take up any sort of calling or vocation? Why make art? Why make music? Why engage with the culture if one day it's all just going to go up in a ball of flames? Why do any of that? If that's the case, you know what? Get a job and work. Do something so you can live relatively comfortably. Have your weekends off. Enjoy some time. Attend church once in a while. Maybe, you know, give a little to spiritual things so other people can make it to heaven with you. But outside of that... You know, that seems kind of the end of it if it's all just going to burn up in the end and we're just going to escape and go to heaven someday. But this phrase or this idea that it's all going to burn comes from what I would argue, and John Mark Comer, who wrote the book, um, would argue is a misreading of a letter written by the Apostle Peter. Maybe more of a warping than a misreading, but this is where it comes from. Second Peter Uh, chapter 3, verse 10, Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. I mean, there it kind of was, right? Black and white. Heaven's earth destroyed by fire. Jesus comes back. Worldwide Hiroshima. Right? Except in the context that Peter is telling this story, right before he's talking about the flood. The paragraph before this verse, he talks about the flood and how the earth was first destroyed by water, right? But we all know that the earth was not destroyed by water, was it? I mean, yes, there was destruction, But the earth wasn't destroyed. We are all still here living on this planet, right? God did destroy the world with a flood, but he preserved Noah and his family, and they built an ark, and eventually the waters receded, and then land came up, and we began to repopulate the earth again. It wasn't destroyed, but it was wiped clean, right? Control, alt, delete, reset. When you do that, you don't take a hammer to the computer, right? The parts are fine. It's the software and everything else is that corrupt. You're restarting. This is what God was doing with the flood. And this is why when Peter goes in, on in that verse, after he says the world will be destroyed by fire, he says the earth and all the work in it will be laid bare. The Greek word for this term laid bare in the original text is this word herisko. I think I said that right. Um, but which means to be exposed. 
That word means to be exposed or seen, or a better translation of that word that we have here that translates laid bare is found. So it's not about the end of time and space and the universe, but about a radical healing that's going to take place. The hope of Jesus isn't about somewhere else. It's right here on this planet that God originally called good. Now, a day is coming, right, when all the layers of all this earth, like all the filth, all the grime, all the smut, all the garbage, all of that, and all the injustice will be burned up and the earth will be found. The earth will be found for what it truly is and what God intended it to be all along. Just as it was destroyed by water, it will be again, but this time by fire. And the best part here is that the age to come takes place here. It doesn't take place somewhere else. We are going to read from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 65, verses 17 through 19, and we're going to take a quick hop to 21 through 23. Isaiah says this, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. My chosen ones will, work, will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will, lab, they will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. Look at this when Isaiah sees the, the vision of the future. There's the language of working and building and eating and drinking and joy in all of those things. The problem is that in the church, most of us has, have seen this as a, as a two-stage process, right? Life here on earth in a body followed by death and then heaven or hell. But all of the biblical authors throughout time have never seen it that way. It's always been a three-stage process. Life here on earth in a body followed by death in heaven or hell followed by resurrection. This was always the hope of the church. Resurrection is what happens after heaven. After heaven, we come back here in a body on earth and we get to the business of ruling this world like we discussed last week. So it's not life after death. It's life after life after death is how the early church saw these things. And we often emphasize stage two, heaven. But the New Testament says very little about life after death. In fact, this term, go to heaven when we die, when we say those things like, oh, you know, I hope I go to heaven when I die, that is never mentioned in Scripture anywhere, ever. There is no mention of go to heaven when I die in Scripture. Most of the time in Scripture, it's just referred to as sleep. Now, you're going to say to yourself, are you telling me that when I die, I'm going to go to sleep until God returns and resurrects me and, and all. No, no, that, that I, would not, I would not say, um, probably not, because Paul, okay, says in two passages um, in Scripture that at death we are with the Lord. 
that we are with the Lord. So sleep is probably just a metaphor that they used, most likely, that we are awake, we are in God's presence. But Paul doesn't say much more outside of that. That when we die now, we are in God's presence. It doesn't expound upon much more of that. The only in-depth passage we have about life after death is in the book of Revelation. And John's vision of heaven is much different from how most of us think of it. We're going to read Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. This is John who had this vision that was given to him. He said, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. So, the dead are in heaven. They are up there, and they are active, and they are looking down on the earth, and they are grieving about what's going on upon the earth. And they're saying to God, how long, how long, how long do we have to wait? And God is looking at them, and he's like, okay, listen, just be patient. There's some more things that I'm doing. Here's a white robe. Go take a nap. Relax for a while, okay? I don't know what the white robe is about, but it is something comforting. God is giving them something comforting so they can deal with what they're seeing upon the earth. Now, how long? How long until what? What are they asking how long for? They're asking how long, God, until you make things right upon the earth. So, heaven is not our home. Heaven was never intended to be our home. Earth is. Earth is our home, but not as it is now, okay? Earth isn't our home as it is now. Um, the Bible says that as far as once we put our faith in Christ, we kind of come become ambassadors on this planet. Use this word, ambassador. You know what an ambassador is, right? So um, someone from another country, right, comes to, let's say, America, and they are ambassadors of their country in this country. So they are here to promote their way of life, how they do things, you know, bring some of their culture into the country that they are that they are at, representing their own country. That's how it is now for us, us as believers. We are on this earth, okay, but we are representatives of a different kingdom, a different system, a different system that we want to bring here, not evacuate everybody to there. Our hope isn't for another place. It's for another time. As followers of Jesus, we do want to go to heaven when we die, but we don't want to stay there. If Jesus is a ticket to heaven, then he is a round-trip ticket because we are coming back at the resurrection. And the new world we come back to was never called heaven by any biblical author. Jesus called it the renewal of all things. Paul called it the kingdom of God and eternal life. Peter called it the time for God to restore everything. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter says, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So let's stop there for a second, um, because a lot of us misread this scripture, myself included, but it shows up three times in the New Testament, so it is important. Heaven here does not mean God's dwelling place. 
It means the sky or the universe. If you think back to last week when we talked about, right, God created the heavens and the earth, it's this Hebrew idiom for meaning everything, top to bottom. God created everything. It does not mean God's dwelling place in this verse. Then he uses this word new, right? New heavens, new earth. In the Greek, the original language, that word new is kainos, which can be translated as renewed. Renewed. He's renewing the heavens and the earth. And when you think about that word renew, it's much more like restoration. Think about restoring an old piece of furniture or restoring a home. Um, When I first moved into my house, it was a rental. It was a disaster. But room by room, we started stripping things out, getting rid of the sheetrock, leaving what was good and replacing what was bad with what was new, right? Didn't destroy the whole house and start over. We kept the bones and the things that were good and rebuilt on top of it. That is the language that Peter is using in in Scripture. God renewing, renewing, not destroying and recreating. And in this world, we won't be lounging around on clouds, hanging out all day, seeing amazing grace forever and ever. Because to be honest with you, that sounds a lot like the other place to me. (laughs) Not something I would be looking forward to. But if you read the last two chapters of Revelation, what all of our human history is leading up to It doesn't end with us going away to heaven, but it ends with the invasion of heaven on earth. It's heaven invading earth. Think about it for a second. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, right? When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how the disciples were taught to pray. This is how they taught us to pray. Not for us to go up there, but for heaven to come down here. On heaven, I mean on earth, as it is in heaven. We see Jesus and his followers coming back from heaven to rule over the earth. This is what's waiting for us. Not an eternal vacation in the sky, but an eternity of working and resting and the earth remade from top to bottom by the Creator in the way He originally intended, ruling side by side with Jesus Himself. This was always the hope of the gospel. This was always the hope and the message of Jesus. In the Jewish faith, in the ancient Jewish faith, Their hope was never to go to heaven. There was no concept of leaving this place and going somewhere else. Their hope was always in a king, a Messiah that was coming, and he was going to make everything new. That was their belief. Their belief wasn't like, oh, one day I'm going to die and I'm going to get to go to a perfect place. No, one day a king is going to come and he's going to set everything right. And not only did they believe in that, they believed in a physical, bodily resurrection. Physical. That was their hope. Not that one day they would die and go somewhere else. Check this out. In Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Um, now, I made the mistake. Someone pointed out for me, and God bless them for it. Um, I said that this was from the Old Testament. This is not the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. But the writer is speaking about Abraham, who's in the Old Testament. Okay, And it says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, 
Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. This is Abraham in the Old Testament who God started the nation of Israel, who's going to the promised land, and his whole existence, he's looking for a physical city, looking forward to a physical place that is built by the hands of God. And we see this city come to fruition in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 2 through 3. John says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Okay, so here's John. He's talking about this new Jerusalem, this new city coming down out of heaven. And then, then he starts to describe what this city looks like. In Revelation 21, 10 through 14, he continues, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of every precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the name of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were gates on the east, three on the east, three on the north, there are three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written the name of the 12 apostles of the land. So John is given this vision of this city coming down from heaven to earth. And you may think this is a metaphor because there's a lot of strange language here. Things are named after the 12 apostles, and it's built on this and built on that. But I'm not going to read the whole rest of this chapter because I cannot read the whole Bible. I'm sorry, we're, I'm taking you through a lot of it. Um, but after... After this part, I will just summarize, John goes into detail, explicit detail about how this city is built. He uses measurements. He says the city of heaven is 12,000 stadia in height, in length, in width. It's laid out like a cube, or it could be a pyramid dimensions. I'm just throwing that out there. Do what you want with that one, okay? Um, The walls are 144 cubits thick. This is a measurement at the time. They're made of jasper. The city's made of gold so pure that you can see through it like glass. The foundations are inlaid with precious stones. He describes each layer of the foundations of the city. There are 12 gates made out of a single pearl. That is a dang big pearl if you think about it. I want to see those pearls. Obviously in the New World there's some giant pearls there. And this idea of gates, there are gates in the city. So there's going to be coming and going, right? This is going to be a central hub of God's kingdom, but there's going to be a reason to leave this city as glory it is and go out into the world and start doing things. That sounds amazing. I want to see the city that God is going to drop onto this new earth. It sounds amazing. And then finally, in Revelation 21, 22 through 27, John says this, I did not see a temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need a sun or a moon to shine on it for the glory of the God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. 
Remember that language from last week, kings and queens? The kings of the earth, you and I. You and I are going to bring our splendor that God has given us into this city. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So John... He shows us this picture of a city without a church. Because guess what? In eternity, we're not going to need this anymore. Right? As good as it is, we're not going to need this anymore because we are going to be living under the reign of Jesus in perfection. And this conception in the religious thought of the day as heaven, this place of heaven being a city, it was revolutionary. John associates a blessed life, a holy life with a city. The one place in our world right now where heaven seems the most far from, right? If you think about our cities, the epicenter of things where tons of people gather, right? There's a lot of innovation and good, but there's also a lot of corruption and sin and filth and crime and that sort of thing. And John takes this concept of a city and he makes it holy and perfect and a place where people gather, In all other religions, heavens have been dreamlands. They've been passive, floaty places on clouds. Even us Christians have viewed heaven as more of a siesta, a place to take a break than than we do a city. But Christianity is different from all other religions, and our heaven is different because Christianity is different. Our faith, our belief... It's a religion of cities. It's, it's, it's actually physical, right? It, it hits the streets of the world. It hits the marketplaces. It, it hits the places that we work and we do business. It is a real, tangible faith that has influence on the sphere of the world and the planet. The thing is, we're all spiritual beings. Yes, 100%. We are spiritual beings beings. But there is a physicality to all of this, okay? We're not coming back to be these disembodied spirits. Spirits, God is creating a new earth and a new heaven above it, and he's, he's going to restore us and give us new physical bodies, right? Here, here, on the place we're already at. Here, but perfect. Here, but without death. Here, but without sickness. Here, without greed and corruption and everything else that has poisoned our existence. Here, with Jesus, the King of kings, ruling over us as we rule the world as we were originally intended. That is exciting to me. That should be exciting to you. And that the thing is, is that it's not just all going to burn up and be for nothing, right? What's going to be burned away is all the stuff that shouldn't have been here to begin with. All the stuff that we created that was a mess. All the stuff that we created that that was a disaster. That will be burned up. But all the good stuff, all the good stuff we've done, all the good food, all the music, all the the art, all the, the poetry, all the things that God has deemed good, that we're going to carry on into this new world. And it's going to be amazing. I hope that excites you this morning. I hope that you just grab onto that and realize, like, this is the promise. 
Like this is why Jesus came. Jesus said, I'm coming to renew all things. All things. Us, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, all of it. He's going to make everything new. Amen? All right. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you, God, that you've never given up on us, God. Thank you that you've never given up on this idea of the garden, Lord, and this idea of this world that you created for us, God. Thank you that one day we are going to see everything you work for come to fruition, God. Lord, and now as we enter worship, I pray that you would just put all of this into our hearts, Lord, and that we would praise you for everything you are doing on this earth because originally you said it was good. And we look forward to the day when you're going to make it perfect. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.